Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports, entertainment and technology. Today, we've got a fascinating conversation with Sports Loft member Kovatic, and we're going to discuss the growth and journey so far and give our listeners an insight into the building of a fast growth startup. To help us have this conversation is the founder and CEO of Kovatic and longtime Sportsloft member and Sportsloft podcast <laughs> guest, Nick Pinks. Nick, welcome back to the Sportsloft podcast. Thanks, Yanni. It's uh, great to be here again. So, Nick, you were on stage at the Sportsloft showcase um, a couple of weeks ago. It feels it feels like months ago now, and then time moves very quickly. But you teased a little bit of what was uh, upcoming. But before we get into that and before we get into Kovatic, what's been your favorite sports moment of those past weeks? There's been a lot that's happened. Uh, it's been a really busy couple of weeks. Um, we've just come back from uh, a really successful trip in the U.S. And so there are two big sporting moments for me. First of all, uh, like all good uh, West Brom supporters, we can say the championship season is over, so we can look forward to the next season. So that's that's always a good part of the year for me, uh, as we can optimistically look forward to uh, to, uh, to our promotion that's clearly going to happen next year. I've got no doubts. Um, but we had an amazing time uh, when we went over to Philadelphia. Actually, I got tickets. Well, we got given tickets to go and watch the Phillies. Uh, play uh, the Diamondbacks, and we um, got a got to go actually on the diamond itself on the pitch or the uh, the field. So that was uh, that was quite a cool uh, cool start to our trip. How was it standing on a baseball diamond? Was it was it the first time you've experienced that? Um, so I actually grew up in the states as a kid. So I used to play baseball like as a little, really small little um, little one, and I haven't been on it for years and years, right? And I must have when I you know in a massive major stadium got on the diamond, it was really small. I thought it would be bigger. <laughs> I thought it was like the diamond, it felt really close, intimate and quite small. And, you know, I've, watched, I've been on like big, big rugby pictures or football stadiums and they're massive and ginormous. But the diamond one kind of felt, oh, that feels a bit small, this. Um, <laughs> probably not what they want me to say, but it was great fun. That's that's funny. It's in, it's interesting, isn't it? It's probably got something to do with your relative size to a little league diamond compared to uh, compared to now, right? What position did you play, or or was it little league? So you did everything, literally everything. And I always always wanted to be a pitcher. Roger Clements was my uh, all time favorite uh, pitcher, and I thought, you know, one day, yeah. So pitching was what I wanted. Although at that age, you know, you you play everything badly, right? Yeah, quite. Well, you've just you 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 just alienated most of Boston, I think, with that statement. I realise. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, listen. Let's 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 get into it. Um, obviously, Kovatic, uh, as you just mentioned, has um, had some some great news raising a Series A. But tell us a little bit about what Kovatic does. <laughs> of, of course. Um, so, in short, Kovatic is trying to help our clients be it broadcasters, publishers, sports organisations, monetize their, their media more effectively. And we do that through advertising, through marketing engagement. And the crux of our solution is all around um, providing private by design addressability. So being able to provide really high value advertising segments without using any form of cookies or trackers, which are limiting not only at a technical level, people are saying no to it, but also from a brand perception point of view and a regulatory point of view. And 
Explain to us exactly how that works. I know I ask you this at every sports loft showcase and every time we're on the on the podcast, but it is fascinating to 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 kind of understand what you mean by private by design and addressable advertising. Um, how does that work from a practical perspective? Let's say that so so Bauer Media is is one of your clients, um, uh, as is Comcast NBC. If if I'm one of those organizations, how do I work with Kovatic to be able to address those revenue um, uh, revenue points that you mentioned and drive more revenue by targeting the audience? I think the easiest way to understand it is to look at how it works today, and then I can explain the difference. And the way it works today is if you go to any digital platform, be it um, you know, even, even the provider of this podcast, um, at some point in the starting up of the app or the, um, you know, the website you've gone to, a cookie banner would come up. Are you happy for this? Um, this 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 uh, tool to track you, um, mm-hmm. and app will actually call out explicitly: Are you happy to be tracked by this app? Um, and if you say yes, um, an identifier is associated to this to this moment, um, and it's you. So Yanni, Nick, you know whoever, um, it is your actual uh, identity. That is then given off to a back end service that says, "Look, I've got this person right now listening to this podcast." Um, does anybody want to target them with something? What we got? And I, I will give this ID to everybody, you know, um, and people will try to enrich it. They'll give it to credit agencies and say, look, you know, how much do we think Nick or Yanni's worth? And, you know, have they got families? Have they got cars? You know, where, where do they live? What do they do? You know, what data can I build about this moment that I can then give to any brand who can then go off and sell? Um, and so they can say, look, yeah, I'll pay X amount uh, right now to advertise my products in front of Yanni because Yanni satisfies whatever I'm looking for. Um, and that's not private, right? That's, you've got zero accountability. You've got no, you, Yanni, have no idea what's happening with your data. You don't know who's been mm. traded it. Um, and, um, you know, there's lots of regulations, global regulations coming in place saying, look, have got to restrict this. This is not good. Things have to change. Um, so the way Kvatic solved for this is if you think about a brand who is trying to sell a product, um, be it any, any item at all. When they've designed the product, they've designed it with an audience group in mind. So that we're looking for people over a certain age, we're looking at people with a certain gender, a certain income, and a certain geographic location. You know, we built the product for this audience, for this user group. Um, and so as opposed to taking people to try to marry up with that product, we actually take the product down to the device, down to the user. And so the rules, that we, we use, we say, right, okay, we're looking for segment or an audience described by whatever those um, those rules are that the brand set when it creates its product. They go down to the device, be it the website instance, the app, wherever you're listening to the podcast, and that player itself that sits on your hardware, sits in your space, is the thing that you trust, your computer, your iPhone, your Android device, whatever, that itself on that device can learn about you and can determine whether or not that product, that brand is is suitable for you. And if it is, it can insert the advert. Mm. And the media operator and the platform can say, it's great, look, I've targeted your adverts effectively to the correct audiences, but they haven't had to know that's Yanni or Nick or whoever. We haven't had to share that personal data. All we've shared is there's a product that's looking for this sort of audience and this sort of audience has responded to it. And it's a product that 
by definition, I want because I've downloaded it on my device. I've accessed a website from my laptop. I've 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 actually interacted with it directly, right? It hasn't then been shipped on to 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 somebody else and then to somebody else and to somebody else. No, all of your data has absolutely reside, resided on your device. It's never been exposed. So you might not have even heard of this, the, the product and the brand's trying to get to it, but it's been something that has been designed with you in mind. You, not personally, but you as your your demographics, your, um, your geographic location, all that sort of good stuff. It's been designed to hopefully be useful. And that brand is paying a lot of money to get their advert to you. So that's fine, and, and you're not having to pay for the service, and that's kind of how the value exchange happens. But the value exchange of you listening or watching something for free or a discounted price because you're going to get adverts is, is, is a well-known, well-trodden and understood path. But it doesn't have to be one that's got this secret undertone of, oh, but you're not just listening to the content, you're also giving them all your personal data. And that's the thing that Kavatic's trying really hard to, to cut out of the industry. Because if you can cut that out of the industry, the, uh, the actual media platforms become more open Content becomes more in, uh, easier accessible, uh, and ultimately we 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 is, we will we will all win out. And so, from a practical perspective, obviously, what you're talking about doesn't necessarily change the market and the way it operates in terms of clearing and you know uh, uh, matching buyers and sellers in space, but it changes the technological application and how that works what adjustments will the industry need to make in order to in order to adjust to that over the last few years the industry's got very used to buying and selling ids so it you literally goes and says look um the advertising industry say look i've got a list of a hundred thousand people who i want to see this advert which media players have got these people can you find them for me if, you, if they're on your platform i'll pay to sell this advert to them um which is a really, when you think about it, take a step back, it's a really weird way to get adverts down to people. It's just, it's, it's an odd concept, right? You know, the brands are not starting by saying, like, I want to, to make this product for Nick Pink. So it's just not, it's, it's, they've kind of created this odd path because that's sort of how the tech of the past has led them to. And we need them to stop doing that. And we need them to go back um, to how they were targeting based on audiences or segments, as it's called in the industry. So, you know, so what needs to happen is the agencies need to, to get comfortable and the buyer, the brands need to get comfortable again by saying, look, you know, we, we actually were looking for demographics or people who have, who exhibit these traits and that's what to buy and sell. Um, and we are seeing this across a number of different platforms. So it is becoming more and more common where people are actually just selling audience-based programmatically or even direct sales. Um, and that's really effective. Um, so there's a, it's not a big shift that has to happen. Um, the tech's very straightforward. It's just people have got a bit more confidence around it, I think, and a bit more experience that that's actually where the premium's going to sit as opposed to that's necessarily the, the longer tail. Mm. And so, so this is not exclusive to sport because no, clearly no. This, is something, this is something that could be applied anywhere. But, you know, this is, this is the Sports Loft podcast. So how do you see its application within sport and how do you see it as being distinct from other industries potentially? So there's two things about sports that are super interesting. I talked about a little bit about this at the uh, Sportsloft event. The first one is sports fans are passionate fans. It doesn't matter what sport you're engaging in. If you've downloaded the app, if you're watching the program, if you're engaging with the content, you're passionate about it. 
Um, so you're engaged, and a highly engaged audience is, is a very valuable audience, right? So that's the first thing. So you know, you've got a very, very premium product, uh, and, and, and as, 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 as society dictates, sport is a very passionate part of who we are, what we do. Um, and then the second really interesting thing about sport is it's actually not very common. And I say that in the sense that um, if you go on the internet or you go on to TV, there's always stuff happening. There's always content being generated. Whereas sports happens at the weekend or happens at key moments. And if you're a particular fan on a particular team or you're a fan on a particular type of sport, it doesn't happen every minute of every day, right? It might happen once a week. Your team might play once a week or, you know, um, you might, if you go to an extreme, um, you only watch football during the World Cup. Well, that means you watch football once every four years, right? So mm. sports is very common in our society, but for any one fan, any bit of live content isn't that common in regards of a 24-7 site space. Yeah. And it's quite disparate. So you've got quite a disparate group of different sports and you've got a very diverse sort of audience engaging in any of those sports. And they're also not necessarily that large an audience number live at that moment in time. Now, obviously, for the very top premiership type events, they, they you know, command huge audiences. But there's quite a cliff edge. You go from the absolute top tier of massive amounts of people engaging it at one moment to then actually a very, very long tail of not too many people in regards mm. of digital audiences for advertising, which makes advertising challenging for that platform. Because I can't get all my audience at once, right? I can't say at three o'clock on a Monday afternoon that I'm going to run my ad button, everybody I want to see is going to see it. Because actually there's all sorts of different things happening and catch up and different audience types and different program types. And, you know, you might be a tennis fan. Great. Well, then you've got your four major events in the year where you want to capture people. Um, but the marketing brands and the advertising brands aren't interested in sort of short and irregular. They want consistent messaging they want to build their audiences out they want to build the um you know, big events are part of their um, strategies but really effective advertising is is is, is frequent advertising um, frequent targeted advertising and so something i find really interesting about our approach and where i think we can help is that our sdk our product set can go across all of the sports platforms create consistent audiences across all of these different to, uh, diff, diff, different um, brands and different uh, diff, different leagues and, and um, clubs and, 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 and teams and, and the like, um, make a consistent audience group, which advertisers can then sell off uh, and buy off, um, which would be really, really effective. So you could actually take the whole sports environment, start to put it together and get to a place where um, it becomes a really easy platform for a very high volume of advertising, which on any one team, on any one day, is always a little bit difficult to do. Mm, indeed. And just to, just to, uh, out, of, out of curiosity, if the product is something that sits within digital products, so um, apps, websites, mm -hmm. do you also eventually envisage that this would be something that would sit on um, uh, either within or on broadcast as well, whether it's smart televisions or something like that? Is that sort of on the pathway? Absolutely. We, we've got a, a large amount of work undergoing in that sphere right now. Mm. Uh, I'll get too much information about it on this, this, but maybe we'll do another 
podcast a little bit later and talk about smart TVs and broadcast, but that is a, a very big area of development for us and, 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 and you'll see, see some stuff coming up soon. Oh, fantastic. I'm glad I hit, glad I hit the nail on the head on that one. Um, so talking, talking about stuff that we can talk about, take us to the origin story. How did you, Nick, say this is something that needs solving? I'm the one to solve it. And how did you go about doing that? Spoiler, there's, there's a big pivot halfway through the story. Right? <laughs> um, when is there not? When is there not? Um, but the story starts back in 2015, 2014, something like Not long after the Olympics, actually. It was sort of after the 2012 Olympics. It was not long after that kind of time. I was working at the BBC, and um, it was back in the day when... Facebook was on a huge rise. Everybody was tagging everything. Everybody was um, sharing all of their personal data. The GDPR hadn't hit. There was no regulation. It was the wild, wild west there. Everything's been collected. And it it dawned on me that broadcasters uh, were going to be in a lot of trouble because their competition, Fang as they were known at the time, so Facebook, Apple, uh, Netflix, and Google, um, mm. were um, collecting all this data about all of their audience members. Um, and the minute they decided to do TV, broadcasters were in trouble because they suddenly knew their audience is better than a broadcaster knew their audience. So you know, the, the classic, we must put TV on at this time of the evening on this day of the week because that's when the nation wants to watch it, mm. was going to go away really quickly. And we probably weren't ready for it. So I was... I was adamant that, you know, this, this gave a great market opportunity. The market's going to be in flux. Um, and we need to come up with a different way of doing this. Because the other, other big, you know, truth is that my internet search history, what I look at online, is not really the best bearing on who I am as a person. It doesn't mean that's when I'm free to watch TV. It doesn't mean, I'm, you know, anything about me, really. The term of mm. So the, the things that you might want for a really good recommendation engine, it's probably not the stuff that's being tracked online. It's actually what you do. A great example, if you go for a run this afternoon, you'll feel great after. So go for a run, you feel good after, it's a bit of exercise. That's a great time to engage with you something. You've got your running playlist, something, something you know to go for, something to encourage you to go for a run, something to listen to, and then when you come back from the run, you had a shower, been to the gym or whatever, something upbeat, and you'll love it, right? That's you know not, not consistent. If we could find out how to identify that moment, that's a moment that matters. So um, I was like, well, how do you do this? Right, it's got to be private. GDPR is going to come along. And we want to get to people's intimate lifestyles. We want to understand the best moments for, for them. Was GDPR already already baking at that stage back in 14, 15? So it was coming. So right when we started the company, the GDPR hadn't quite been released. Um, it's actually just had its five-year anniversary, I think. Um, so it's, it's okay. Like it was because we started. We knew it was coming. It was baked into mm. our ideas. Like we knew the GDPR was going to be a big thing. Um, and so I was like, well, how do we, how do we understand? Get to somebody's really important moments. So the data's got to be really accurate. Um, and actually, there's a lot of it. So streaming the data off a device to a back-end server to try to identify those moments is not a great architecture. So it's why we then worked on the on-device. So we started at the beginning, right? That was 2017 when we started mm-hmm. the company. Had a couple of years, built a phenomenal recommendation engine that really understood your commuter pattern. Like it was really accurate. 
to predict what you're going to do today. People had very consistent patterns of life. Um, and then, then, then there was a global pandemic. And uh, heard about that. Uh, yeah, it happened. Who knew, right? Um, <laughs> and every bit of regularity. Well, first of all, we built a commuter product. No one commutes anymore. Hasn't commuted for years. So that that was that was a that was a fail, right? Um, <laughs> so it was really originally focused around people's trips to yeah. and from work yeah, we specifically, were. because those were predictable yeah. and probably from a from just just from a simple marketeer's perspective, you're you can pretty quickly understand what somebody's thinking about on that particular commute through and building patterns, exactly. right? And it's a super meaningful moment in time. So getting people's attention yeah. on the way into work, but also on the way home from work, going home from work dictated a lot what they do in the evenings. So it was a really very yeah. important part of people's days. Um, and if we could use, and they're also massively underutilized periods of time for broadcasters, right? They weren't like, connectivity was really bad. People didn't, really struggled often to uh, to get live content and things so we were solving for all that anyway here's the pivot so we were at the time working with sky quite closely we we're trying to build a big thing with sky sports and we we're starting to um uh, we we're actually looking at investment at the time with them um and they were like um have you heard of this accelerator program that comcast run out of philadelphia each year very very small group of people but you know you should apply for it. Anyway, we did. Um, and we just thought about other podcasts, but we we got through this um, into this 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 Comcast NBCU uh, accelerator that was um, utterly game changing for the company, truly transformational. But right at the beginning, when we we're doing one of our many pitches and we were going through all of the detail about how how it comes together, um, I was on a on a call with a guy called Marcian Jenkins and uh, Matt Zalesko. Matt was the um, CTO, he's now there. He was the CTO of Comcast. Um, and Marcian was the president of advertising for all of Comcast. Um, he's now actually gone off to be the CEO of Zumo, which is a, the joint venture between Comcast and Charter, which is even, even bigger still. Um, but the two of them on this call went, leaned in with Nick, do you know what? I love what you're doing, but I hate mobile. Um, and uh, I, I hate the fact it's not uh, not advertising. So I was like, right, well, let me tell you about Cavato. We're a TV-based advertising platform, and they're like, love it. So <laughs> it was during that accelerator um, when we were looking, this is um, mid, was at the end of 2020, so the pandemic had really hit, and obviously we'd all yeah. had our lockdowns and things. Um, I was looking, uh, looking at the future of the company, and here we have Comcast, this global behemoth, saying, look, utilize your data to solve for advertising. And um, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that was our pivot. So then 21 started and we shifted and we developed A-Type, which is our um, advertising product. Um, and so since 21 now, we've been focusing a lot on advertising and monetization, which has really helped uh, a lot of organizations um, throughout the, you know, the the period of time, they 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 sold a lot of the data, but they've also been able to you know to get considerable uh, improvements on 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 their revenue thanks to Gavatic. What, what from a practical perspective did you need to do at that pivot point? 
walk us through kind of what, what what needed to happen. Did you have to raise some funding in order to be able to facilitate that? What was the what was the journey, uh, and what was the development time? So we were, I'm not saying we're on borrowed time over those years, but we were, you know, like a lot of startups, sailing very very close to the winds throughout that time. So any changes obviously had impact uh, on, on what we were doing. So we did raise money. We raised money from angels, and we had our current investors. And we we you know, we also had revenue coming in a little bit. Strange. So we you know we we kept the lights on while we evolved our product, and we. Um, we didn't do sales and marketing activities. We really buckled down and said, "Well, hunker down and let's focus on the tech. Let's get the product really right because the industry is still coming out of the pandemic. We've got time to get the product right. We've got a great partner in Comcast. Let's work with them over the next couple of years and build up some fantastic use cases and really get to a place where we've got this incredible capability so that we can come out of the other end of it all and then do a Series A and, and raise a, a proper war chest." which will allow us to do the sales and marketing activities that we want, allow us to build our operational support team because the core product is built. How many people at this point, Nick? So um, at the, during the beginning of that, we probably had nine, 10 people in the company um, back in 21. Um, and now we're up to um, 21, 22. And how does that conversation go with those nine, 10 people? a lot of whom presumably have been working on this product for a long time, right? When you tell them, right, guys, we're going to do something different. No, do you know what? We, we had a very open, uh, frank conversation as a company. Uh, I remember the whole thing very, very clearly. We sort of said, look, guys, we built a commuter product for a society that's not commuting. We we should have a think about this. But at the same time also, now, you know, companies might not like to admit this, but if we're going to be really honest... The very first version of the thing that you build is probably not the very best version of the thing that you build, right? It was sort of getting to the point where, this is mid-2020, we, we knew we needed to take a step back and, and re, rebuild or, or re-bed in the key features that are massively important. Mm. So we, we actually did a two, no, sort of four-week tech symposium in the company. It was when furlough was kicking off. It was when all of our clients have sort of said, look, you know, no innovation projects. Um, the accelerator just started and we're like, well, let's take a breather on the product for a sec. And we gave half the company two weeks off because at this point, everybody had been absolutely slammed. The company was in two halves. We had like an art, we had a research group. We had a, a development group, basically all engineers with R and a bit more R&D folks. So we said, well, why don't we take, give half the company two weeks off. Then we'll do two weeks just R&D. It doesn't matter what area you, you would normally do if you're an iOS developer, an Android developer, or if you're a you know, front-end developer or whatever. We're all going to wear the same hats and we're all going to talk about what it is that we love about our product and what it is we think would be really good to solve coming out the end of it. What's going to be the big challenges? What's the stuff that would be really good to tackle that we never have or think we should? So we did that for the first period, first two weeks. Then we got the company back together for a week. We had a bit of a festival. We sort of spent a lot of time, you know, online virtual festival, obviously. <laughs> Lots of uh, Zoom games and, you know, shared all of our, our ideas across to the other half. And then the first half went on holiday. The second half then took over and had two weeks of, okay, taking these ideas, how do we, what would we do to turn that into a product? What are the actual development jobs that we have to do? And, and, and we wrote a long list and a sprint plan and a, a plan to, to do that. And that's sort of how we did this transition as, as a group really um very openly and honestly and we we pulled it together and 
that kind of got us our direction of travel for the second half of the year, probably. By which point, then Comcast and other clients started coming in, and the roadmap then starts to organically develop into what it needs to be to become the uh, the success that it is today. Fantastic. And so let's talk a little bit about that success. You've uh, you've just completed that uh, uh, that Series A. How did um, how did that process go? And well, let's start with that. How did that process go? And then we'll talk about what you're going to be doing with the with the funding. Uh, so it was. I mean, it's quite a long process. I mean, last year and this year has not been the best time to raise capital. Like it's been, and people say it's not the best time for all sorts of reasons. But in some ways, it's a very good time. Investors are just being very careful, and so they should. Kind of should always be careful. Um, you know, they're talking about a lot, large amounts of money, and you want to be really careful as the company. Mm-hmm. Really important you don't, um, you know, let the wrong people into your organisation. And likewise, they should be very careful. So it took, and careful just means time, right? So we started this um, towards the tail end of last year, um, and we um, met hundreds of investors um, as as per rounds go, and we found a couple that we really, really liked. Um, we also were very fortunate throughout this journey quite early on, we had the support of Comcast, who were very keen to invest uh, as part of the round. So we had a um, we had our strategic. Sorry. Did they did they lead it or did they let they somebody lead else it. lead? No, they they didn't want to lead it because right. I mean there's a lot of money for Gavatic, but it's a very small amount of money for an organisation like Comcast. So mm. they um, and because we went through a strategic investment, not their venture arm. It was a venture arm within different kettle of fish, but this actually went through their um, uh, corporate strategy group. Right. So because of that. Um, they we had a we, we actually had a, a fantastic fund called Pretoria Ventures. They're based out of Manchester. Absolutely brilliant group, led the round. Um, and we've been so we're working with them and we work with Comcast and we put the round together. Um, term sheets and the like, I think, were all ready for the end of the year, end of last year. Um, and we're very excited about all of this. And then we went into twenty three this year going through the due diligence. Um, and so that took a few months to get everything in quite the right place. There was a little bit of delay at the beginning also because I had a daughter. Um, so uh, that, that that put in a little bit of a, uh, a break. Life, um, life happens all at the same time. Congratulations. Life at the same time. Um, and so uh, that was a little bit of a pause, I suppose, or the slow stuff down a little bit at the beginning of January. But um, the round was, was successfully all completed by the... Um, uh, by Easter, by the end of the tax year. And so, what is that money going towards? What are you? What's what's the outlook, and what are you guys going to be doing? I mean, it takes a lot of discipline to not just jump on a jet, right? Um, <laughs> um, for for my investors listening, I'm joking. Um, it's it's sales and marketing is is a big area for us, mm. um, and and operational support. So we built a cracking product we're really proud of it there's a lot of exceptional features that i i truly believe will help solve the whole advertising and the monetization ecosystem i'm you know not just saying this i do believe this is the right approach to to to, to solve these these big challenges um, but we've got to let the market know about it you know we we have had our heads down doing the tech work for so long now it's about building a really good customer support 
network. And I mean that from you know, helping to educate the market, from uh, you know, the actual sales success teams and then the client success teams, making sure that you know, um, it's a pleasure to work with Kavatic and work with our products. So that's what I want it to be. We, we very much see ourselves as partners in, in broadcasters and sports teams and clubs journeys and we want to live up to that. And so the Series A enables us to put that acceleration in uh, into that process now. And who who are the when when as you start to go through that process and you, you you've started to expand the team as well with some some really stellar hires, um, what are the case studies that you hold up as uh, as kind of these are the really great ones to showcase what it is and do you have I mean it could be West Brom I was going to say aside from West Brom but do you have a dream client? <laughs> um. I, I do have, uh, so I have, um, when we look at the case studies of huge success, we look at things like Octave Audio, which is a, um, it's a joint venture between Bauer uh, and News UK, um, mm-hmm. and they do all of their targeted ad sales. Um, I'm really proud of how, how well that's working um, and uh, what their team, what they're able to get out of it. I think there's, there's some great case studies there that we uh, we talk about and, and um, some really good there's some fun, uh, fun examples as well. So uh, we ran a campaign, um, or they, they ran a campaign using our data, um, targeting people who were using their mobile while driving. It was a government, a government campaign that was um, ran over last Christmas to stop people on their phone while uh, driving the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the think campaigns. Um, and because we could identify, you know, the in-moment people driving, and we could identify, um, you know, uh, that you're in a car and you're on your app, now's a good time to have an audio ad saying, maybe put the phone down. Mm. You know, things like that are really good examples of the benefit of it, of it all working out. And of course, in a very private way, those people are not identified and recognised. It's all really very, very, very solid from that point of view. Um, really about the, the teams or, or my favourite clients are, or people I love to help with I, I think there's kind of two categories I, I really believe that there's a lot we could do with football football rugby um you know all the all the sports that have league type structures to it where there's regular audiences but um by any one team not large enough to command the uh, the advertising dollars because they need big numbers to advertise dollars so i think you know we can aggregate a lot of those and do some fantastic work and i've, I've always really felt that, that would be a great use case um and then the other ones i think which we could help with i think we also struggle are the big big championship type events the the olympics the uh the wimbledons of the of, of the, the calendar of the world cups things like that where you know it's a like if you look at something like the world cup or wimbledon's a really good example i, I did a podcast with um uh wimbledon with you guys a while ago before the pandemic and we, we were talking about it you know Tennis as a group is, is big, right? And they've got lots of events throughout the year. But the events are all individually owned and run. So Wimbledon's obviously the All England Lawn Tennis Club. That's only two weeks of a year. And so for them, their target audience, it, you, you've got 50 weeks of the year when you're not able to address them. So I think there's a lot we can do there to help. Um, and I've always felt that that's somewhere where we could um, sort of help uh, effectively monetize those, those products a bit, bit more effectively. Okay, so you're giving me a wide-ranging answer. What's the one that you would love to land? Well, that's hard. Um, 
I'll give you two. I'll give you two is as good as I can get. Personally, I would quite like to win West Brom because I want to help them out. I feel like I should do something to help West Brom out. No one on the pitches, so somebody's got to do something, right? Is is my my first first takeaway. Um, but then, secondly, I think it will be really really powerful to win. Uh, my other big team I'm a big fan of would be the Bills, uh, the NFL Bills. I think you know I love to solve um, one of the NFL team's big challenges because I mean there is a franchise it's really interesting how they work and the rules and regulations around there um, are like you can only advertise the people who live in a certain distance from the stadium yeah. mm-hmm. like incredible challenge in the internet age that that's actually a real thing but you know for all sorts of reasons that's the case but again we can solve for that because we can understand where people live and the concept of it so uh, and and as, as a Bills fan I wouldn't mind uh Winning them, maybe get tickets for a game. Oh, there'll, there'll, there'll be a Super Bowl on the on the horizon at some stage. I'm, I'm hoping sure. so. I mean, this year was so close, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, tragedy beset that, but um, indeed, yeah, that's the plan. Well, Nick, what is what is the um, plan for Kovatic in uh, the next twelve months? Where do you where do you hope to be you've kind of given an answer on the ideal uh, ideal client but <laughs> when you look at the uh, when you look at the future of the business um do you foresee uh, a series b in a few years do you um hope that you'll be hitting a revenue threshold what are your targets and what are you focused on when you look at the you know the natural or the standard growth of a of a tech company or you know you go through your seed your pre-seed your seed your abc you know uh, and list at some point and um, and while I'm, I'm not committing to any of those, because I don't know that the truth is, I'm not being, being coy, who knows where that actually goes. What I do really like about that, um, those structures, is that they, there are thresholds. Um, and it, there's, there's like, so hitting the A for us was a really tangible threshold. Like it, it did feel quite binary. We weren't ready, we now were ready. And when we were ready, we were successfully able to complete the round. I think mean, that's one of the things that, that um, when people talk about it was a really it's a really difficult time to raise right now is because people that weren't ready before were able to raise money in the past whereas now you have to be ready and if you can demonstrate you're ready of course you can raise money i think that that's the, that's one of the big thresholds um so having having achieved the first the first amount you know we need to get to 10x where we are now right that's that's the threshold for a b i mean there's loads of nuances around all that sort of stuff but if you can get to that threshold then we get to the place where the company is supporting a broad range of clients, organically growing, got a good market presence, we get to that next threshold. Um, and when we get to that threshold, um, and you can look at the, you know, the, the triple, triple, double, double, double type mantra, um, or you can look at, you know, the numbers, there's, there's also things that get thrown around, sort of the 20, 30 million hour, all that sort of good stuff. Um, but we get to that point, and it, you know, in, I don't know, next 24 months or something, how is that growth for a fan goes, we get there. It allows, it affords the investors, the exec, the board, a decision point. So it means that you're able to go, the strategy that you built today has been successfully executed um, and you're able to now make another decision. What do you want to do now? Because then you can either say, well, carry on growing the way you're growing organically. This is fantastic. You know, I'm keen, we'll be profitable. This is good. This is exciting. Or you can say, look, do you know what? The next thing for us to do is a whole new vertical, or maybe we need some M&A work. We need to raise a whole chunk of cash. We'll do a B, and then we're going to do this next threshold piece. Um, so for me, it's about getting to that, that first one. And then we can look at the precipice and go, what are, what are the 
options on the table for us to go after there. You know, um, does IPO loom in the junior markets? Does bees look like, does, is it an acquisition? Is it a continuation of the, of the business model? Don't know. Um, no, no decisions made. It's just about getting through the successful execution of our strategy for the next two years. You certainly have some partners and clients who would make sense for a strategic acquisition, wouldn't they? But we'll we'll leave that to one side. I'm fascinated by what you just said, and we'll we'll start to close on this. Um, you know, over over the years, you have been uh, incredibly honest and um, uh, vulnerable about what you know and what you don't know, or what you do well. And I think you've always been very um, honest about kind of where your strengths lie. Uh, and, you know, you've always talked about being nervous, getting up on stage and presenting, and that has honed itself quite a lot over these past years, including with the accelerator. What of this journey have you enjoyed the most from a business perspective? And having had the experience that you've had, what are you most looking forward to? Is it the is it the, the, the business setting? Is it the team management? Is it the presenting and the going out and pitching now that you've gotten so much better and more familiar with it? I'm just curious about that personal journey. You hit on the point perfectly there. And the thing that I've loved the most without a shadow of doubt is the personal element of it. I absolutely love, love our team. Right? I'm so very, very proud of um, the people I work with. Uh, just, just, just last week when we were in the States in Comcast, uh, we're in Philadelphia, and, and I had all these really huge sort of you know, light bulb moments of you know just incredible sort of emotional pride when we're standing between these two ginormous Comcast towers. I mean, it's hard until you've been there; it's hard to explain just the scale of these behemoth bases. And we're standing in the middle of this between the two of them, myself and two of my team. And we're going, this is insane. Our tiny company, our little group based out of the West Midlands in, in the UK, you know, the go back, those stories telling about, yeah, you know, the nine of us or whatever it was when we were trying to try this happen, has, has helped shift these incredible organisations. You know, we're about to jump on a train and go to NBC and then we're seeing, you know, these, these titans of the industry are listening to us. And are thinking about you know how they tackle privacy, um, and you know the, the the clients we work with mean so much to me because I really care passionately about what we're delivering, and I can do that with a team that are exceptional. And so the thing that I've loved the most, without the shadow of a doubt, is is the people, uh, and um, you know being able to deliver on on our on our promise. It's very emotional, don't you, in that sense. The um, and the thing I'm looking forward to most now. I think every startup, every founder has been distracted, gets distracted far too much by finance fundraising in the early days. And you know, over the last few years, it's been really difficult. You know, it's been a very difficult time with, with the pandemic, with the cost of living crisis. I mean, even when we were closing, we had the Silicon Valley bank collapse, literally the weekend we were meant to be closing the fund. I mean, it's just so hard, all of that stuff, making sure you can hit payroll, making sure you... And so for the first time in the company's history, well, certainly for a while, um, we've got a bit of breathing space. We can be strategic and we can actually deliver what we want to do to really help satisfy the market. And so um, that's what I'm looking forward to most. You know, we're recruiting a lot of people at the moment, which is amazing fun. I love having more you know, new people coming in and uh, learning so much and doing this. It's great. But it, it's just one of those things that having a little bit of resource can go a really long way. Um, and that's that's something that we are all, all very excited at, uh, Kavatic. 
Well, that seems like a great place to end. Uh, certainly, it sounds like Kovatic is going places. So congratulations on the Series A and the recent success. Um, uh, we'll just close with, uh, with a prediction. Um, what is your prediction for West Brom's finishing position next season? Uh, first, obviously. First. Excellent. Obviously. I've got little <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we look forward to that as well. Um, very quickly for our listeners, if you liked what you heard, please make sure to go and subscribe and give us a like wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And make sure to follow us on socials at SportsLoftHQ. All that remains for me is to say a big thank you to Nick Pinks, the founder and CEO of Covatic. Nick, thank you very much for joining us on the SportsLoft podcast again. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Fantastic. And for the listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time in the SportsLoft. Goodbye. Goodbye.